coming into the home stretch of the series that I've called 50 Days with Jesus, in which we've been thinking about the Gospel of John and reading through the Gospel of John individually with the reading guide, but also talking about some of the themes that run all the way through the Gospel as we've talked on Sunday mornings, and we're going to continue to do that today. Now, John tells us in chapter 20 that the reason he wrote this book was so that his readers would know that Jesus is the Messiah, which means the King and the Son of God. He he chose the the stories that he included. He chose the teaching from Jesus that he included to convince us of those facts, okay? And so as we finish this up, you're going to come across that passage at the end of this week. Be thinking about how John has laid that out for you. Be thinking about how you've grown in your understanding of what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, he takes that theme all the way through and some others as well. And one of the reasons that he does that is because he knew that Jesus' early followers, in fact, Jesus' followers throughout time, have faced a sense of loneliness in their service to Jesus. Now, that was certainly true in the first century, right? The earliest Christians are all Jews, and as they begin to follow Jesus, many of them were excluded from their family. They were excluded from the synagogue, which meant you couldn't do business with people in the synagogue. Their oldest friends abandoned them. So they had this sense of even though we're still in the same town and know the same people, they had a great deal of loneliness as a part of that. And we know what that's like, right? I mean, we've experienced that. You can be in a crowd of people and it seems like everybody knows everybody else and they huddle up in groups and they're talking about stuff from the past and you don't feel like you have a place and you feel a little bit left out and lonely. Or people there, everyone's different from you. Maybe everyone's a different gender, age, or they come from a different class and you feel outclassed by them and you feel lonely. Or, or maybe you just feel lonely because you're dealing with some struggle in your life, right? I mean, there's something going on and you really don't feel very comfortable sharing that with the people around you. So it feels feels kind of lonely bearing that burden all by yourself. And so Jesus knew that we were going to face those times of loneliness. As I said, the Jews faced it in the first century as they became Christians throughout the Roman Empire. Christians faced that as they refused to worship the pagan gods, refused to call Caesar God himself, had a different moral code than the rest of the people who lived there. So they were separated in some ways, looked down upon, thought of as strange because of all those things. And at times, maybe we feel a little of that. Maybe in our culture, we feel like we are different from other people in some ways, and they may look down on that a little bit. So we have that sense. And and what do we do when we as Christians, because of the way people treat us or because of what's going on internally, we feel sort of alone in our service to Jesus? Well, in John 14, Jesus deals with that. Now, it's in the midst of a, a lot larger section. One of the things you may notice as you read through the Gospel of John is that John devotes big, almost half the Gospel to the last week of Jesus' life. So you've got like the first half of the Gospel and it's three years Jesus going back and forth between Galilee and Judea, celebrating festivals with the Jews and all this teaching, performing those signs, finally raising Lazarus from the dead. And that's half of John. And then the last half, roughly is the last week of Jesus' life, from the triumphal entry, which is the whole Palm Sunday story, which is today, to one week later when Jesus is raised from the dead. Okay? So you've got that, but in the midst of that big section, 
you got this very long section in which John records what Jesus said to his disciples in their last meal together. Now, John was there, right? He's an eyewitness to that. And he must have thought, I mean, the other Gospels don't have this, right? John may very well have had Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He knew much of that was not included. And so he gives it to us. He knew we needed to hear this. And so there's a lot to pay attention to there. And, and Jesus really carries some themes all the way through that teaching. He sort of goes around and around the same topics over and over. But it's all about how he can help his followers even when he's gone. What Jesus is saying more than once is, I'm not going to be with you. Now he paints a pretty clear picture in this section and sometimes the disciples seem to get it. They seem to understand Jesus is about to die. He's not going to be with us. And then there's going to be a time when he's not physically present. And then at other times they seem totally clueless. Okay, I'm guessing that John was in the midst of all that. And he only understood what Jesus taught after the fact, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after the ascension, when Jesus went back into heaven. Did John recognize, oh, that's what Jesus was talking about. That's what he wanted us to know. And so he now communicates that to us. So what did he say? Well, we pick up in John chapter 14, verse 15, and Jesus is going to link two things closely together a couple times in just the short passage we're going to look at today, and he starts right off with these themes. He says this, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now that's pretty simple. That's straightforward, right? You can say, I love Jesus. You can say, I love God. I worship God. God is my creator. I thank him for all the things he's done. We could sing the song that we just sang about the deep, goodness of who God is. But Jesus says, if you love me, you got to do what I say. Okay? It's not just about showing up for worship on a Sunday morning. It's not just about prayer. It's not just about saying good things about God. It's actually doing what he called us to do. And Jesus was pretty clear about a lot of things that we're to do if you read through the Gospel of John how we do business with people, how we interact with people. All right, all those things are there. And he's saying, listen, if you really do care for who I am, then you got to do that stuff. You got to put it into action. And then he links that with what comes next. They're connected. So he says this in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Okay, an advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. What is Jesus talking about? He's saying, listen, there's a time coming when I'm not going to be there physically, and I'm going to send what he says here is another advocate. What's that all about? Well, first, it's pretty clear there's already an advocate in place, right? So if there's another one, there's already one here. I think he's talking about himself. He's saying, listen, I am I'm God's presence with you right now physically, but I'm not going to be here forever, so I'm going to send someone else. What does that mean, an advocate? Now, if we look at that word, it is a notoriously difficult word to translate from this ancient Greek language 
into modern English, okay? And so, I'm reading from the New International Version. If you have a different translation, it is highly likely that there's a different word from advocate there because you might see advocate in some of the translations, you might see comforter, you might see counselor, you might see something as simple as helper. And the question is, who's right and who's wrong? Well, really, they're all decent translations of this really packed word. I mean, it is hard to say everything that this word means in one English word. So at its root, it's sort of a legal term, okay? And that's why advocate comes up here. It's, it's not your attorney, but if you stood accused of a crime, your advocate would be someone who speaks on your behalf about your character a character witness, okay, that says, listen, I know he or she is accused of this crime, but it is not consistent with the kind of person I've seen them to be over a long span of time. And so there are times when Jesus is our advocate, and he says there's another advocate, the spirit of truth. Now, in what sense is the spirit an advocate? You know what? We're going to fail in our walk with Jesus, right? None of us can say, you know, since I decided to follow Jesus, I have been amazingly sinless, right? None of us can say that because we know it's not true. Jesus and then the Spirit are our advocates because they say, listen, that's not who he is. That's not who she is. I know that person to be different from what that one act betrays, okay? So that's part of what an advocate is. But this word is so packed that it means these other things too. Uh, a comforter, one who stands with us in times when we're in pain and struggling with life. A counselor, one who leads us to the right thing. A helper who just gives help when we're struggling. And really, there's five or six different ways this is translated on five or six different translations. So again, it's, it's shades of meaning of a really complicated word. But who is this Advocate, John says here, the spirit of truth. In a passage we're going to read in just a minute, he calls him the Holy Spirit. And this carries all the way through this long section of teaching that Jesus is talking to the disciples before he's crucified. He talks about this spirit. And Jesus clearly knows that since he's not going to be there, they, they're going to need someone. And he's not going to leave them alone. They should not feel alone in the face of opposition, in the face of difficulty in life, because God's Spirit is going to be with them. Now, here's the thing. We've talked about this before. It's easy for us when we begin to talk about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Christians disagree about some of this, right? And we struggle with what we think, and it can end up with divisions. And so what do we do? Well, we just don't talk about it. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you an advocate, a helper, a counselor, a comforter, and this is going to be what helps you through really difficult times. And we say, well, because it's complicated, we're not interested. So the very help that Jesus offers us in living the life he's called us to live, we ignore. That seems like a mistake, doesn't it? Because Jesus wants us to live this full life in Him. And part of the way He's guiding us toward that is His Spirit. And so we need to think about this. And we need to look at what Scripture actually says about it and celebrate the ways that God is at work in our lives. Verse 18, Jesus thinking about the time when they're alone. I will not leave you 
as orphans, I will come to you. It's as if Jesus, having spent three years with these disciples, he's become almost like a father to them. Some may be older than Jesus. We don't even know. But spiritually, he has led them. And he knows his absence is going to leave a real hole. But he says, listen, I'm not going to make you orphans because I'm not with you. The Spirit of God is going to be present in your lives. And you need to depend on that Spirit to get you through. Whether it's as an advocate to remind you that you are not a failure, whether it's a comforter that's with you through really difficult times, whether it's a counselor who helps you know what's right and wrong, or whether it's as a helper when you just don't know what you should do. All those things, God's Spirit can be in our lives. He goes a little further down verse 23. The disciples have just said, hey, Jesus, why don't you go a little more public with this thing? I think more people need to know. This is what Jesus says. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Now that sounds familiar, right? We just talked about that, that if if we want to be in contact with the Spirit, then obedience is part of it. I'll come back to that in a minute. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Now, if we're not careful, what happens when we read that passage and what we read back in verse 15 is, oh, well, it must be that the Spirit is for like the super Christians, right? The people who are really obedient and really love Jesus and show it through their actions, then the Spirit must be for for them, this upper class of Christians. That is not what Jesus is saying. He is not saying that somehow you're supposed to be sinless, and if you are, then the Spirit will be with you. But if you're not, then you're going to be left out. What I believe Jesus is saying is this. This is the Spirit of God at work in us. And the way that we live, our life of obedience either opens up our life to the activity of the Spirit or closes it off. Okay, right? If this is God's Spirit, and we say, you know what? I want to live according to the way that Jesus called me to live. I believe that, that Jesus knows what's the best, not the easiest, but the best thing for me. If I believe that, then I'm going to follow what he, what he asked me to do. And if that, if that happens, then we're opening our lives up for God to be at work. But if we say, you know what? I know what Jesus said. I know what he's called me to do, but I don't want to do it. There's some stuff he's asked me to do that I'm not interested in doing, or there's some things that Jesus said I shouldn't do, and I really like doing that, so I'm going to do it anyway. If we do that, we are closing our lives off to the work of the Spirit because we're saying, I know what God wants, but I'm not doing it. Well, how is the Spirit of God supposed to be at work in our lives if we are closing the door to the activity of God in our lives? It doesn't work that way. So it's not that we have to be some super special Christian. It's just that we have to say, you know what? I'm going to do my very best to obey what Jesus has called me to do in part because that opens my life up to the work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God being in my life. The way Jesus words that there is in verse 23, my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. He will be with us, not just sometimes, not just occasionally, 
but in all of life. And then one more verse I want to read down verse 26. Jesus says, but the advocate, there's the word again, the Holy Spirit, he's clear who we're talking about, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, if you read this long section, this last meal that Jesus had with his disciples, he lays out more than once what the Spirit will do. And, and he's laying out different functions of the Spirit in our lives. Here's one of them, okay? And you can read others. But here's an example of the way the Spirit works. The Spirit teaches us and the Spirit gives us recall. Now, imagine you're one of those disciples sitting there with Jesus and Jesus is saying, listen, I'm giving you a mission. I want you to go out. I want you to talk about me. I'm not going to be with you anymore. I'm going to spit, send my spirit, but I'm not going to be there. Now, he sat and taught them for several hours that night, but for three years. And they've got to be thinking, okay, I'm supposed to do that, but how in the world am I going to remember what Jesus said for the last three years? That's pretty hard to do. But what Jesus is saying here is part of the work of the Spirit is to give you recall of what Jesus said. Now, they didn't even have the New Testament, right? They don't have the Gospels yet. They don't have anything written down. They just have their memory. And Jesus says the Spirit is going to be at work in you, reminding you of what's right and reminding you of what Jesus said. That's part of the work of the Spirit. That's the way the Spirit can be at work in our lives if we open up our lives to the activity of the Spirit. So, what we learn from this? Now, throughout this series, I've talked about what, what God does through Jesus. That Jesus is God's way of doing all kinds of things. And we learned that from John. But today, Jesus is teaching us something a little different. That the Spirit is God's way of being present in our lives. So the Spirit is the way that God shows who He is in our lives. He indwells us. He's part of our lives. So if you're thinking about your life and going, man, following Jesus is what I want to do, but it's not always easy. You know, living this life as a follower of Jesus, because life is sometimes hard, man, it's a challenge. I'm facing some stuff right now that really is rocking my world, and I just don't know what to do with it. This is the promise we have. That God has not left us alone. He's not left us as orphans. That His Spirit is at work in our lives. His Spirit is giving us recall. His Spirit is helping us. His Spirit is comforting us. His Spirit is guiding us. His Spirit is speaking for us. All those things are at work. The Spirit is God's way of being present in your life and in my life. So as you serve Jesus, you are never doing it by yourself. The Spirit of God is always at work. So if this is something that we sometimes ignore, it's, it's too bad, right? Because we're missing out on a gift that God has offered us. But how do we foster the Spirit of God at work in our lives? What are practical things that we can do? And I would say there's three. And, and we begin with this. Devote your life, your, devote yourself to a life of obedience. Jesus clearly links obedience and the activity of, our, of the Spirit in our lives. Now again, it's not because you're a, a special class of Christian that God's at work in you. It's more, okay, if, if I attempt to follow the life that God has called me to live, 
I'm opening myself up to the leading of the Spirit. I'm opening myself up to God's Spirit being active in me on a daily basis. Okay? So what we do matters. Yes, we need to be in this room praising God. We need to be talking about what God is doing in our lives. We need to be talking about the ever-present goodness of God. And we need to be living it out. Because it's more than just talk. Second, depend on God to lead through His Spirit. You know, the sure way to fail at the Christian life is to say, I can handle it on my own. Because you can't, and I can't either. It's not up to my somehow inner strength to do this right. Because we're going to get it wrong. The first step to living the Christian life is saying, I need God to help me with this. Because I am going to mess it up. Now, I've got choices to make. It's not as though I have to follow the, the power of evil. I don't, right? I mean, I can obey but I'm going to need help as I walk this path. And so do you. And so we begin this with recognizing I need God's Spirit and inviting God to be at work in our lives to, to advocate for us, to counsel us, to comfort us, to help us. And so we choose that path. We choose to invite God in through our obedience and through our hearts and then to seek the strength of the Spirit when we feel weak. There's going to be times... When you just wonder, can, can I do this anymore? I mean, I, I'm just, I'm worn out. I'm tired of fighting whatever battle it is that I've got to fight. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's spiritual. And, and you probably don't have the strength to do it on your own. And so we choose to depend on the, the strength of God's Spirit. Now, we're talking about God's Spirit, right? So it's not like he's going to run out of power. It's not like he's going to run out of strength to give us. We will run out. But the Spirit of God is not going to. So the question for us is, are we going to keep living this life and thinking, man, that whole Spirit of God stuff's complicated. Christians disagree about it. Sometimes they think God works in this way, sometimes that way. Or are we better off looking at what the Bible actually says about the Spirit and buying into that and allowing God to help us in the very way He promised that He would. Because here's Jesus. In really the last hours of His life, the last hours He has with His disciples before He goes to the cross, and what does He hammer home again and again and again? God's Spirit... The Spirit of God is God's way of being present in your life. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for your Spirit. Thankful that you choose to be at work in us. And we know we're imperfect. We know we're broken. And yet you choose to be present in and through us. And we're thankful for that. And we open up our lives and we ask that you would lead us, advocate for us, help us, guide us, comfort us, counsel us, all the things that are involved in the life of the Spirit. And God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.